0: 18 plus. Hi everyone, and thank you for tuning into the 320th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the most talented up-and-comers in show business. She only just turned 33, but she is already an Emmy, Grammy, and Tony winner. And at the Academy Awards on February 9th, she will have two opportunities. ...to become the youngest EGOT ever... ...because her performance as Harriet Tubman... ...in Casey Lemon's biopic Harriet... ...has been nominated for the Best Actress Oscar... ...and Stand Up... ...the tune that she co-wrote with Joshua Brian Campbell... ...for and performs over its end credits... ...has been nominated for the Best Original Song Oscar... ...making her only the third person... ...after Mary J. Blige and Lady Gaga... ...ever to receive Oscar nominations... ...for both acting and music... ...in the same year. I'm talking of course about Cynthia Arrivo. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the British actress of Nigerian descent reflected on her accidental journey to RADA and a career in show business, how specifically she came to star in the first-ever musical adaptation of The Color Purple, and how that catapulted her to a Tony, Grammy, and Emmy, as well as a film career, how she managed to adapt to screen acting, starting with Steve McQueen's Widows and continuing right through Harriet, which, on her shoulders, has become a breakout hit at the box office, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We uh, always begin with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised and what did your parents do for a living?
1: I was born in London, UK. <laughs> uh, my mother is a nurse and I think my, my dad is a civil servant, but we didn't live with him. So I really actually never knew what he did, <laughs> uh, which is um, odd, but yeah, yeah. Hey. that's
0: the way it falls sometimes. Sure.
1: Um, Yeah, that's where that's what it is.
0: And can you share with folks your actual Name your birth name. My full name. Yes. All
1: right. Here we go. As everyone I'm ready. Me, Zach, it's a really long one. <laughs> My name is Cynthia Chinasoku Amara Wow.
0: So, explain where that comes from.
1: Um, it's so there's a tradition in Nigeria that your elders and your mother and your father give you traditional African names, mine mm-hmm. particular Nigerian names. Mm-hmm. Ibo is the tribe I'm from, mm-hmm. and so I think one of, my mother gave me two names, my great grandma gave me a name, and my grandma gave me a name. I think my sister, my mother's older sister,
0: as well. And both of your parents were from Nigeria. Yes, both first generation, first generation, and and so how do you think that? Shaped you. I I can only imagine having you know. I have one parent who's not from America. You you have two.
1: There's a real sense of like determination to to succeed or to yeah. do well. Um, and my mom, I guess she's an anomaly because though she wanted me to do well, she's also a really gentle spirit. Mm-hmm. So her way of making sure that I did well was to allow me to to dream about doing whatever I wanted to do and just telling me that you could I could achieve it as long as I worked hard. Mm-hmm. So I could change my mind and tell her I was wanting to be a, an astronaut one day, and she'd say, "Do it." Just work hard. Mm. And then I changed my mind and said, well, I want to be a spinal surgeon. She's like, great, make sure you work hard.
0: (laughs) And that one actually was real, right? That was actually real at one point. That turned up. um, Spinal surgeon, I should say, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I was going through a weird phase when I was about 16 15 16 and i was in one of those classes where everyone is very advanced and they are very intelligent and i was one of those people who could either i could have gone either way really i could have been a doctor or a lawyer or Mm -hmm. anything like that and and because i was good with numbers and i was good with science and Mm -hmm. all those things but uh i felt odd because i was the only person in the class that really wanted to perform Mm -hmm. and so i just felt weird so when everyone was saying what they wanted to do i just decided that i wanted to be a spinal surgeon because i was good at biology and I wasn't squeamish. So <laughs> I thought I could probably do that. But nope. um
0: let's go backwards though from there for a moment because yeah. when did when's the first time you sang for an audience?
1: Uh when I was 5 years old in the nativity play and I was playing a shepherd. <laughs> Lord knows why they asked me <laughs> at 5. Being a shepherd to right. sing Silent Night. Okay. But they did. I guess it was a chatty Cathy. Uh, <laughs> and I had confidence uh, in abundance when I was little. And they just were like, put that little one in the front.
0: She'll be fine. She won't be shy.
1: And so that's what happened.
0: And how did people respond?
1: They were really pleased at clapping. I remember them standing. I don't know why, but I feel like that's what happened. And when you're five, maybe even people sitting looks like people standing. <laughs> i'm a short girl so when i was five i was even smaller right i don't know how tall i was was at five but i couldn't have been (laughs) that tall right but yeah i remember people being really pleased with it and 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 applauding and i think surprised that this little five-year-old could get through silent night yeah
0: and did that moment even sort of propel you to at at that point saying like look this people like what i do here i'm gonna keep doing this
1: i believe so i think that Me at five, everything was very black and white. There was no sort of gray area. And so as far as I was concerned, I associated me singing with people being happy. Mm -hmm. And so I I wanted to keep making people happy. Mm -hmm. So that meant I wanted to keep singing. Yeah. And I don't even know if I knew I was singing at that point. I just knew I was making a sound.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I've talked particularly to a lot of comedians on this podcast who have said that they first – sort of got into comedy as a way to make people happy. I mean, for instance, Stephen Colbert lost his father and brother in a plane crash and did it to keep his mother, you know, lift her spirits, things like that. You're saying you were trying to make people happy, not through comedy, but through singing. Yeah. Do you think were the people who you were trying to make happy specific people or was it just people at large?
1: I think it was people at large, but then I realized that my mother was really happy when I was singing. She Mm -hmm. loves me singing. I think I kept doing it for her Mm -hmm. really as well because she... She came to everything. She's like my biggest fan. That's great. Uh, like my true, when people are like, I'm your number one fan, I'm like, you haven't met my mom. <laughs> you have no idea
0: side memorabilia <laughs> like she
1: is it uh, you know yeah. this morning I was speaking to my sister and she said you know, mum is watching the series right now and she has no idea what's going on but she just knows that you're in it and she's watching it and that's what she's happy about
0: she was watching some of, of the, the Outsider r- oh The Outsider and she's yes. like
1: it's really dark and stuff but all she wants to do is see me and she'll like watch videos on repeat of me singing things and I am I speak to her every day right. so she could literally ask me to sing to her but for some reason she will go and find the videos <laughs> that she wants and she'll watch them on repeat <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I, think I just knew that it made people at large happy, but it also made her happy, so I continued doing
0: Did you feel the same support from your father? mm No. No. He just was less present.
1: He, he wasn't very present in my life at all, and, mm-hmm. and not, you know, my mother was really good at trying to make sure that, she didn't impress on me any opinions about him, mm-hmm. she felt. Uh, she tried to make sure that there was enough access for my sister and I to see him. But it, he he wasn't there. He wasn't mm-hmm. really present at all. We see him occasionally, but not often at all. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the first time it seems like your talents were marshaled into some sort of a formal use as opposed to silent night with yeah. a with a five year old uh, peers <laughs> would have been i think at 11 yeah. i read you joined a youth group i did and you're doing like brecht at uh, yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: I don't even know how I managed to get into that. It was a, I distinctively remember, and I know my might like I remember this very distinctively. It was a musical version of the, the Caucasian Chalk Circle, and I don't know that I knew that it was Brechtian. I just knew that I was playing the Queen in this particular production, and I had a ball doing it, but it was desperately depressing as well. So I don't know. I don't know. How I got into it, I just remember thinking it's great.
0: Right? Yeah. Well, and so you're, I, I believe, continuously sort of performing from that point on. Then you hit that moment that you mentioned earlier where it's like, nobody else is doing this. Why am, am, I, doing am I doing this? Doing it? Yeah. But it sounds like maybe the thing that then convinced you to double down and stay with it, you did Romeo and Juliet with this I did group. Romeo
1: and Juliet. I did Romeo and Juliet at the Young Vic in the summertime. And I remember loving every second of it. The Young Vic does, uh, and I I don't know if they still do, but they did at the time, youth productions of whatever was in the main house that time. And at that time it was, a, it was like a Polish circus company doing Romeo and Juliet, which I thought was stunning. Mm. I I remember like not knowing what the heck was going on at the same time, (laughs) being completely enthralled, watching Juliet walking on a tightrope and like... Romeo like on the silks it's just it was just mind blowing <laughs> and i was like this is so crazy and then we did a youth production of romeo and juliet and i played juliet and i just remember loving the words like loving being able to speak those words and
0: and obviously this is not musical so this was no. you acting straight
1: up just acting no singing at all and, and had I there been
0: it. much of that non musical acting up to that point
1: no not really yeah. not really at all I, I mean i did i mostly was doing musicals that at school, mm-hmm. they would do like musical productions at, at the end of the year at school. And I did uh, My Fair Lady and uh, Bugsy Malone.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bugsy Malone.
1: Bugsy Malone. Yeah, we did that. <laughs> then Romeo and Juliet sort of came shortly after that. And I was obsessed with it. I loved it. And then when I went back to school, the last thing I did there, I think, was Guys and Dolls. And I played Sarah Brown.
0: So all of that being said, when you actually, when it came time to go off to university, Mm -hmm. you were not going to pursue drama no, or singing.
1: No, I I had no idea that there was a place for people to go and study Mm it. I just didn't know. And I was singing outside as like a backing vocalist. And I was, I'd be at like nightclubs and I'd be doing the BVs for it. And I I was happy to do Mm -hmm. that. I just didn't know that there was any other way. And then I bumped into my, uh, the woman who took the, the summer school for Romeo and Juliet.
0: This Um, is Ray McKen. Ray McKen. Okay.
1: Uh, It was peculiar because I was like, I don't understand what you're doing here. (laughs) I'm 20 years old. And I I already knew that when I was, because I was studying music psychology at uh, university, uh, because I felt I I was trying to find something that would allow me to still have access to music and to performance. I just didn't know that there was any other thing there. I remember feeling like when I was doing this course that I, was deeply unfulfilled and I was not stimulated in any way. And I was finding it really easy to hand in papers and I was passing and I didn't really need to do very much to do that. And I, I just felt like it was all wrong. Mm-hmm. So I made a decision to quit. I didn't tell my mom.
0: How far into it? At This is at University this is like East the second,
1: London. I, I I got through the first year, fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in second year, halfway through the second year. I was like, I got, this doesn't work at all.
0: And that was, be- you made that decision before or after speaking with Ray?
1: This is uh, this is before before. So I had I'd quit university and and I knew that the Stratford Theatre Royal had this young actors company mm-hmm. that they were going to start and I was going to audition for it. So I auditioned for it and got in. It, I got in, mm-hmm. but I didn't know who was going to take the course. Uh, and on the first day, Romy Ken walks into the box office. And I'm standing at the box office talking to the ladies because I used to work at that theatre as well. I did everything in the yeah. theatre. I was at the bar, It was the <laughs> the the staff, I was at the <laughs> box office, I was in-house, in, in house, like it, all of it. Right. And she says to me, are you training? And I was like, I don't know what you mean. What does training mean? She says, uh, are you going to drama school? I said, no. Why would I go to drama school? How, does, I don't understand. She said, well, you should train and you should go to RADA. I was like, what's RADA? <laughs> she said, RADA is the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that.
0: How? Why would you rule it out? Because it, it just seemed... It
1: just seemed impossible. Like, yeah. it, I mean, just by the ne- Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, like, am right. I really <laughs> going to get in? Well, it what, was actually gonna, I'm not going to... It's not going to happen. And I was like, I'm not going to get into this place at all. So I'm not going to do it. And she threatened me. She said, if you don't come upstairs and fill in the application forms, you're not coming on to do this course. I won't let you. And I was like, I... This is unacceptable. Like, that's not cool.
0: Stop bullying me. Like,
1: that's bullying. She so was like, I don't care. And she was, Ray is one of those people that was like, I don't care. Right. You've got one choice, right. and that is to sign these application forms for this school or leave. Right. And I was like, <laughs> okay, fine. I'll come at lunchtime. And I filled in the application forms with her. Only for Rada. Only for Rada. And I was really defiant because I was like, <laughs> I will sign, I will apply just to Rada and Rada alone to get you off my back. <laughs> that is it.
0: With no expectation none at, all,
1: none at all. I had right. no expectations at all. I fully thought this was not going to work. I was not going to get in. And then she would leave me alone. <laughs> but turns out that she was on me like hot sauce on fries <laughs> and was like, we're going to work through the speeches. So we worked through the speech for the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you remember what remember. you did? I want to say that it was a speech by Hermione... Uh, in A Winter's Tale. Okay. I cannot remember how it goes today at all. And then another speech from a piece called The Colored Museum, and we did both those speeches. And I had an interview, and was it this interview that I told them I wouldn't go to another school? Maybe in the second one. Mm. So we get through to the second round, and I'm like, okay, so this is I'm going through the second round. And <laughs> she's very happy, and I'm right. like, okay, great, relax. It's the second round. Uh, and the second round requires you to do a speech and sing a song unaccompanied. So I, I do the speech, the Hermione speech again, and I do, it's a fine, fine line from Avenue Q.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we sit down and do the interview. And in the interview, one of the, the educators asks me if I weren't to get into this school, would I would I try for other schools? Mm-hmm. And I remember going to say, yes I would apply to other schools, and as I went to say yes the word no came out Mm -hmm. and I remember being deathly honest I was like no I don't want to apply to anywhere else and if I don't get in here I'm not going to another drum school I'd rather just go back to the university and Mm -hmm. figure it out that way and every one of them just laughed
0: because they never heard that
1: they'd never heard (laughs) I don't think they had heard that kind of honesty that day right at all and I think that's probably what got me through to the third <laughs> round. which And I thought it was like the most destructive thing ever because I was like, okay, it's done. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> then this letter comes through that says I've got through to the third round. Now, the third round is like a, it's like a group day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's a way to find out how you work within companies and how you work with people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you sort of work on your speech, whatever speech you've decided to do this time around. And I had chosen a speech by Amelia from Othello and... We were working on it and it just was a good day. And I think they're just sort of watching how you interact with people because you don't really have to do anything that day. There's no sort of speech or anything. Yeah. Uh, and they sort of decide that day who's coming back and then I get through to the fourth round. Man, so at this really point now I'm like, <laughs> like they make you go through a lot, and yeah. but now I'm invested. Now right. I'm like, okay, so, okay, I hope this works. Right. And then the fourth round, <laughs> the fourth round is another big group day you work through your speeches, and then in front of everyone and all the prospective students and the adjudicators and the artistic director, you do your speech.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, when I was doing my speech, I had chosen a speech that someone else had chosen, and so we're working through everyone else's speech, and it gets to her, and she does her speech. She starts to do her speech, and she she blanks, oh. she forgets the words, Ugh. and so I don't I didn't think I just fed her the line oh wow that's nice so we do this speech back and forth so i'm feeding her the lines yeah and i feed her another and then she's off and she's fine again yeah and then i get up and do the same speech and i think that i don't know what it was about that moment there was something that was so natural and that was a real camaraderie well yeah what moment. could be like, more generous yeah you... and, but it it meant that she was f- like it gave her a new energy right you know to know that that someone in that Set of people was yeah. like for her yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah, the two of us got in.
0: Wow! I both find done.
1: out like the next day. Wow! I get a phone call from Nick Barter at the time, who is very soft spoken, and I pick up the phone. I say hello. He says hello. This is Nick Barter. No, he calls himself Nicholas. This is Nicholas Barter uh, from RADA, and I'm just calling to uh, ask you if you would like to attend RADA. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, are you sure? <laughs> I said, what, are you sure? He's, and he said, yes, I'm sure. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, really? Yes, really. Uh, yes. Yes, I would like to come to Varadha. Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. Uh, and I ran downstairs, told my mother. Mm-hmm. And, but at this point, I don't think she realized I was even auditioning. So she, I told had her, about she had none about no idea. So I tell her, I said, mum, and he had to tell you something. I quit university.
0: She's she didn't like, know that what?
1: either. She's like, yes, yes. I quit university. She like, so I don't even know if she had any time to be furious right, about it. Right. Because the next thing that followed is that, and then I went and auditioned for drum school and I just got into the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. She was like, when did this happen and how did I not know any of this? And congratulations. Oh my goodness. And that, do you need anything? No, I've pretty much figured it out. I'm good. Like, this is, and then. She was just... This is the kind of person she is. She's very sweet. Because a couple of months later... No, no I tried to do some, do things as independently as I possibly can because I know that she's worked very, very hard and mm-hmm. I don't need her to consistently have to do things mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. So I signed all the papers and made sure that it was good for student loans and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I set myself up and mm. I I wrote letters to people so they could help me mm-hmm. um, get in and subsidise like school meals, all of yeah, those yeah. things. And then like a year or two out of Rada when I was when I was like in the middle of my career she said I I feel really bad because I didn't get to help you you did it all on your own and I was like but that's I don't want you to feel bad the point is you gave me all the things I I needed Uh to uh do it uh on my own that's uh the point right the point was I didn't want to tell you until I had done it so that you could be relieved so you could just sit and enjoy it that's nice you know that's great and we she and I have these moments consistently where she sort of like takes stock of what's going on. She's I think she's a really good touchstone because she makes me sort of sit in my my moment and like figure out like uh-huh. where I am and what's going on. We had just recently had it and she was at my apartment in New York and she looked at my bookshelf, which is where I keep all my awards and she she was like, I had no idea that we would be here right now uh-huh. and I'm so grateful that we've that we've gotten this one, that you've you've done all of this and I'm so proud of you and I like it was a real moment she keeps like she just keeps coming back to it.
0: Well it is. Got, it's got to be mind-blowing. You you just turned 33. Yeah. Yeah. And it was this has all happened in I mean you when I and most people I think first discovered you was in 2015 yeah. with The Color Purple on Broadway. Yeah. So not even fully 5 years ago. <laughs> That's a lot in a it's short a amount of time. It's a lot.
1: It is a lot. Yes. Yes, it's a lot. Yeah. Well,
0: before we get too ahead of ourselves here, let's talk about, so just briefly, what were the most important takeaways of being at RADA, where it's my understanding there are not very many people of color, which at I'm sure is... there were four in my year. And is that something that you thought about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I, I felt, I because I felt like some of the teachers had a preconceived notion of what women or men of color were and so it would it would um sort of color the way they would cast us they didn't seem to see us except for except for a couple who who i still talk to today uh-huh. they didn't seem to see us with vulnerability and so we ended up playing these really like strong strong inverted inverted commas uh-huh. characters uh-huh. just because and one of my teachers her name's D Cannon, refused to go in that direction like she refused she was like I want you to understand that your best suit, your strongest suit is vulnerability. Like that's what you are. I don't know how she spotted it. I don't know when she spotted it or how she saw it. She was just like, you are the person that understands vulnerability. And when you key into that, you can really access your characters. And she kept putting me in roles where I had to be vulnerable. And I would fight her on it and I would fight her on it. And she would always put me in those roles until one day uh, it just sort of clicked. And I realized that she was right. And I've used that ever since. The Do you idea think
0: in real life, like kind of a vulnerable person or is that just something that you read as when people watch it?
1: I, I no, I think in real life, I, I have vulnerability that I tend to cover with strength. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you, when I get to be on screen, it's the it's the thing I lead with mm-hmm. because I think it's the most accessible thing for people to to lean into a character. Mm-hmm. I think even the most heinous of characters has vulnerability. It's why you can connect mm-hmm. with them. And I think she just, by making me see it, mm-hmm. it she changed my life.
0: Wow! Yeah. Just a side note: Was it at Radha that you were in class with Taryn Edgerton, or where was that? It was.
1: It was at Radha, and he <laughs> was. He was in the year. I think the, a couple of years below me, mm-hmm. and um, we. I think I must have bumped into him in the library. I want to say he may have been taking out a a music book, and I think I was taking out maybe seven guitars or something like that. And I just, I just thought. I just saw this first year bright-eyed and, like, frazzled and <laughs> trying to figure stuff out. And I just remember knowing what that felt like and knowing that I wanted someone to just reach out for a second. Um, and he tells the story mm-hmm. that I <laughs> I was like, ah, you should take this apple. You're going to need your strength. Um, you gave him an apple. I gave him yeah. an apple. Yeah. Because I also, I also was watching people. This, it, there's also a really terrible thing where, you know, girls aren't eating. Boys aren't eating enough. Mm-hmm. Everyone's, like trying to lose weight and Mm -hmm. trying to be skinny but like they were they were kids i just saw someone and i always kept something on me i always kept food on Mm -hmm. me like something to keep my strength up because it's a long day and people get tired and i just didn't want that to be a reason for me to like falter so i always kept like healthy snacks on me Mm -hmm. and i i just thought that this person needed like something so i gave him an apple and i told him he needed to keep strength up
0: and yeah. here we are. I didn't
1: even realize I didn't he <laughs> remembered it before I didn't. I I didn't realize that it had made that much of an impression on him at all. That's because amazing. it was just like something. Just I a felt nice gesture. There. Wow. Yeah.
0: So when you got out of Rada, and Rada is how many years? Three years. Three years. So when you completed your studies, yeah. you seemed to have started working almost immediately. Indeed, yeah. And, you know, just a, a variety of things, then some touring. Yeah. And then there was what I understand was just one singing line in Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Yep. And that really <laughs> somehow, even though it's just one why, singing line, it's d- 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 started everything. D- 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 right? D- that
1: thing started everything. Uh, what was the uh, singing
0: line? I guess I have to ask.
1: Uh, it wasn't even words. There no. were not it was, d- there's a classic French ditty. It's called dig ding. Okay. And it literally went dig a ding, 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 ding. And that was it. So and what I was it... like, I had to ping across the topic. And I, I, I have to do. That was it. Oh, my God. And for some reason, like I. Because I, I was playing a character in it, but it wasn't like I wasn't the lead in it. She was sort of supporting. Mm-hmm. And I loved playing that role. But that I think that particular thing. hmm. Like made people's ears prick up because it was just different.
0: Well, and you're doing it. I'm as I watch you doing it. You're doing it with a big smile, and you know <laughs> you're expressive. And I'm I can, I'm just trying to. The reason I'm I'm focusing on this so much, I guess we should say for listeners, is that in the audience, I don't know if it was the first night or just at some yeah. point, was who? And look, maybe I have it wrong, but I believe will Burton, a casting director yes. right
1: will burton yes
0: okay and so yes. who is he and what happened from he's
1: him? he's one of my favorite like he's one of my favorite people so he's he's a casting director in the uk and he casts a lot of musicals and touring musicals and he was in the audience i had no idea <laughs> and then he reaches out to my um agent and mm-hmm. asks if i can come in to read for sister act And I'm like, what do you mean? And they want me to come and read for the lead. And I was like, oh. Which was
0: gonna be a big touring product. It was a
1: huge touring product. Huge. I think we did it for I wanna say 14, 15 months. We did it for ages. It was a long tour, and we were we went all over the UK doing this thing. And Will was a real champion. He was just, he came in, he he saw this piece and was like, that girl. Who's that? I want to see her, and so I went and I, I read and
0: he tells this to David Grinrod.
1: David Grinrod, who is like one of the big wigs when it comes to like gathering the people. here. In, in London, yeah, in London, um, and because it's his production that is casting, and I go in and I I read for this part and I sing for this part and they call me back. I think I I want to say I had like six callbacks for this thing. <laughs> And on the final callback, I didn't realise that they had they had already decided. My final callback was just for them to see me do it. <laughs> and so they by this point, I had put together twenty minutes of the first act. So like from the top to Fabulous Baby, which is like the big song
0: that she does at the top of the act. We should say this is the character that people will remember. Whoopi Goldberg playing yes. in the film. Yes, The first, uh, well, let's leave it, let me leave it there. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like
1: based on the first yeah. film, yeah. this one. And so I do this thing <laughs> and Jerry Zach is in the room, Steve Beckler, who I still talk to today, who is one of the most incredible people in the world. David Grindrod is in the room, Tara, who was the choreographer at that, that point and someone else, I forget his name and I hate to because he was so lovely and he was the associate chore- choreographer for it as well. Anthony, something I can't mm-hmm, remember. Mm-hmm. But they were all in this room, and I do this thing, and at the end, Jerry <laughs> Jerry gets up and he comes towards me. He said, I just want to tell you that that was amazing, and it is okay to celebrate because we would like to cast you <laughs> as Dolores VanCarte. I burst into tears in the room because I had no idea that they had already decided. i like, this is crazy. Uh, And for me, it was like the first big moment for me. And I told around the UK with it. Um, It was my first sort of learning what it was to really do. Well, you said that was
0: like one of the happiest moments of your life to get that. It really was. And we should just, uh, of course, note this was the first, but not the last time you would play a part originated by Whoopi Goldberg. First, not the last at all. Yes. (laughs) So you were starring in Sister Act. Yes. When, how did you first hear about... The color purple.
1: It, so it's weird because these shows they sort of come through, come down the grapevine, and yeah. as people start buzzing about it and talking about it, and when I heard about it, for some reason, it, like a light switch went on. I was like, I just, I just knew that I was supposed to be playing that part, and I was like,
0: the one in the color purple. The one in the yeah.
1: color purple. I knew. That i wanted to play cd i knew that that was the role i was supposed to play
0: but it had never even been it seen as a musical seen,
1: i know i know i don't <laughs> know why because it was it was such a visceral feeling
0: mm-hmm.
1: such a, a like i i knew in my heart of hearts in my gut like in my mind that this was the role that i was supposed to be playing and everyone thought i was crazy <laughs> and i would i remember we were at curtain Just before the curtain goes up and we used to stand in the circle, say a little prayer Mm -hmm. and like wish each other luck and like, you know, get ready for it. And as we were in that circle, I remember a guy called Daniel Stockton says to me, uh, they're doing Colour Purples. And I was like, I know. And he was like, would you, would you do it? I was like, yeah. He was like, would you do like the understudy of CD? I was like, no, I don't want to play the understudy. I want to play
0: the (laughs) character. Mm -hmm.
1: He was like, you wouldn't play the, the, you wouldn't do the understudy? I was like, absolutely not. That's Mm -hmm. not what I want. Mm -hmm. He's like, Rick. (laughs) <laughs> you would not take the chance. I was like, absolutely not. I want to go in for the role. That's what I want. And I know that it must have sounded crazy because I was just this young girl who no one knew on a tour somewhere that people didn't, you know, know very well. But I was dead serious. And for a while, you know, when the opportunity came around to to audition, they wouldn't see me. And I, I had a few champions, my then agent, uh, Claire Hoth, was sent everything that she could possibly find into them, all my singing, all the, the acting that I'd done. Uh, that wasn't working. And then Jason Pennycook, a friend of mine, uh, who happened to know the artistic director of the theatre, was like, you have to see this girl. She's brilliant. Please see her. Just see her. And so they, I get uh, an email saying that they would see me. They have four scenes and two songs for me to learn. I have two days to do it. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, but I do it. I make a decision to not give them any excuses as to why they cannot cast me. Mm -hmm. I had decided that I was going to do this role and I learned everything like the back of my hand. I went in there and I sat and it was, I remember the room was like mood lighting, lovely atmosphere. Mm -hmm. There was David Barney, John Doyle was there, Kathy, who was the artistic director and there was a producer in the room, I can't remember who it was because it wasn't Scott Saunders. Mm-hmm. And I we do the scenes, and I remember John looking at me like,
0: hmm. We should say this is Tony-winning director John, yeah, Doyle, John Doyle, right.
1: He's looking at me, and, I, and I've realized that he's going, we may have got this girl a little bit wrong. <laughs> because what he had on paper was a girl who went to RADA and did musicals. So for him, it was someone who was super privileged and had everything handed to her. Mm-hmm. But when he met me, he was like, Oh, you're not that. You're a girl that had to do all of that right. for yourself. And so we sat and we talked. He found out about my, my life, my family, mm-hmm. my mother, how, what I, how I was raised. Mm-hmm. He found out that I, I love doing musicals and I love singing, but more than anything, I love telling stories. Mm-hmm. And then I sang the song. And by the end of the song, Kathy's in Tears. Which song is this? Um, I, I think I did I'm Here at this point.
0: This is the one that just, again, to just make sure everyone's following along. When you then eventually did it, on Broadway, yeah. every night that was a mid show standing yeah. ovation. So yeah. just to contextualize, but this was yeah. the first time anyone's hearing you do it.
1: Yeah. 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 I had to do one, uh, I had to do the song from the show, and I did, and they asked me to do another song, and I did I'm Changing from Dream Girls. For some reason, most people love I'm, I'm not you. going.
0: Yeah, I'm not going.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm not going, but I love I'm Changing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's, one, that's my favorite mm-hmm. song from the musical. Mm-hmm. So I did that song. I used to do that all the time. And they're, by the end of it, everyone is a weeping puddle of mess and just crying. And so I, I in my heart of hearts, I'm like, okay, I think that went well. <laughs> I think that went well. You never know. So really? I'm going to go off home and be happy. And I don't hear from them for like a month or so, but I don't realize that it's because they're trying to get the rights to things and right. like, there's stuff going on with it. And when I do get the, the call, I'm at the Soho Theatre doing this really cool play called Lift. Uh-huh. And I'm in the dressing room and I get this call from my agent and she says uh they finally offered you the part of cd and i was like
0: <laughs>
1: <sighs> thank god this is like awesome and it's a little theater well, i was gonna you say like seats.
0: it's not people should not think that this no. was going to be immediately no. a life-changing thing Mm-mm. like the first place 200 seats is it the menu, me- chocolate, menu chocolate, chocolate factory tiny. Right? this is july 2013 yep and you know it's it's great to have a leading part in a new show it's and it's awesome theater but that's it that's it Did you ever think it would have a life beyond that? No,
1: no. That's all I... I just wanted to do that show there. That's what I wanted. I didn't know that it would have a life anywhere else at all. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't waiting for it. Mm -hmm. I I thought that this... It's this show, this character here, now. That's what I want. I had no idea why or what. And I think that fate or the universe puts you in the place that you're supposed to be and gives you all the feelings you're supposed to feel and makes you go for what you're supposed to go for because it has its own plans. We did that show and people were up on their feet. I've never seen an English audience behave like this ever in my life. <laughs> like people stamping on the floor, getting up, shouting, yelling, crying, applause, standing ovations. Like it was mindful. Yeah. This is this is every night. Every night. <laughs> this is every night it was wild, right? Wild. And then the first night we did this, I think this is the first preview. Scott Sanders comes up to me and says, Would you do this on Broadway?
0: This is a top, top, top producer.
1: I was like, I just thought he was, I honestly thought he was joking. And for like one of a better term, like <laughs> blowing smoke up my house, I was like, <laughs> Are you just, that's very nice. <laughs> Sure, if you'll have me, is what my answer was. Like, sure, if you'll have me, like, I'd love to. (laughs) It'd be great. I had no idea that I was actually answering yes to a real question. Uh I came to find out that Scott doesn't really make many jokes. Like, what he says is is what he means. And he's very sweet when it comes to that. And, you know, I I was none the wiser. That was the question. When it went away, we continued doing the show. And about a week or two later, I'm called into the office with the artist director. And he says, yep, so we're taking this to Broadway. Uh, And we're not going without you. John, John won't do it if you're not doing it. I was like, I beg your pardon. Right. So the show, as in this show, this show. Yes, this show, this version of the show is going to Broadway and you have to go with it. We want you to come with it. I was like, "Okay, sure. Okay, great. Uh, but and then he says, but the only thing is we have to find the theater, and I'm like, okay, great. Okay, so there's the catch. So it might not happen. We've got to find the theater. We have to do all these things, and I'm deathly sure that it's not going to happen because mm-hmm. it's like, how? When It doesn't happen often. They right. find a theater. We found the theater. Okay, so that's one more confirmation. Okay, fine. <laughs> then they cast. Um, they announced the cast uh, that they had found: Jennifer and Jennifer Hudson and Danielle Brooks. Mm-hmm to do Suge Avery and uh, Sophia. And I was like, I think this is actually happening. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, this is actually happening. And the deal starts getting worked out. And I'm like, oh, oh, my goodness, this is actually happening. I don't think it was until the day I got to the airport <laughs> that I truly understood that this was going to happen. And I'm at the airport and I realize that I'm leaving, like, my family behind for for a while, as far as I was concerned, I thought it was coming back, but my sister was like...
0: This is it. This is
1: it. You're not coming home. And I was like, how do you know that? She's just, I just know. not coming back. And she hates crying, so she does this thing where when she feels the tears come, she puts her head up in the air because she, she thinks the tears go back. <laughs> uh, and so we're at the door as I, I'm about to leave, and she has, like, a little gift for me. Pro- oh, my goodness. This little gift is a charm in the shape of an Oscar.
0: Oh, my God.
1: I didn't even remember that. That's crazy. Till just now. Till just now.
0: That's, wow. That's unbelievable.
1: Yeah. She gave me the... Wow. <laughs> so, uh... Wow. <laughs> I didn't even remember that. Oh, my goodness.
0: <sighs> she was only off by one. You, you might have two. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she, uh... She gave me this charm. uh and I say, uh, <laughs> she said, uh, why have you left your stuff back in the room? I said, what do you mean why have you left my stuff back in my room? She said, you're not coming back. I said, what do you mean you're not coming back? She said, you're not coming back. I said, how do you know that? She says, just no. Then she puts her head up in the air. I go, are you, you going to cry? She goes, mm-hmm. I said, OK. Can I give you a hug? She says, OK. So I give her a hug and she cries, closes the door. And I get in the car and I burst into tears, because I've never seen my sister like that. Uh, I go to the airport. Um, my best friend turns up, and I didn't know that he was coming. Uh, I have known him since I was 15. He turns up to the airport, and he's like, I couldn't let you go without, like, saying goodbye properly. Um, and I give my mum a hug, who's inconsolable at this point, but super proud. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> go through security, get to the gate and uh just i sit i sit down for a second and i i go to it's time to board and i get my my ticket and i get to the front and i can't stop crying and the woman says are you okay and i'm like i don't know <laughs> so she says i think you should take a seat for a while just take a, a seat for a second so sit down and honestly there was a 50 50 chance about whether i would get on the plane or not <laughs> i was like i don't know if i can do this um and i make a decision and i go okay Suck so it up. Come on, let's go. I get on the plane, and I remember it was the twenty third of September, two thousand fifteen. And in a week, and I stay with a friend. Uh, I I stay with Steve Beckler.
0: Oh my god! So it all comes back around. Jeez, these people! <laughs> oh, My God.
1: <laughs> I stay with Steve Beckler because I I remember um, he he was always really helpful. And he stayed in touch after the after Sister Act, and mm-hmm. he was always really encouraging. For some reason, for some reason, he was like, I just. He just saw something in uh-huh. me and, like, he wanted to be there to help. And I call him and I tell him I'm coming to New York to do this play and he knows. Uh-huh. And I say, well, I haven't got anywhere to stay for a, a week or two. And he's like, come stay with me. Uh-huh. So I stay with him and his husband. And they have this beautiful, beautiful home on the lake somewhere. Uh-huh. And it's, like, a minute to, like, process and breathe. Uh, they have this bedroom that they call the Cynthia room. <laughs> uh, they like, it's your room, so you stay there. <laughs> Uh, whenever you come, that's your room, that's say. great. and I prep for like a week or so, and then it's time to start rehearsal. And I remember thinking that I fit. I remember thinking I really fit in this place, and it was, it was amazing.
0: This is the Jacobs Theater. Yeah, yeah.
1: I just it just felt right. This role felt right. Singing this song, this, these songs felt right. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know how much it would change my life. Like it changed my life. Everything.
0: It changed everything. Very quickly. Yes. Can we just say how close it came to almost not happening? Because after the Chocolate Factory incarnation, there was...
1: There was a, a, a musical that I did called I Can't Sing. Yes. And... And that X was supposed Factor, to go, right? yeah, that was supposed to go until after I was supposed to, so I was supposed to leave. in. so if I was going, I was leaving in September, but this play would have gone till November, which meant I wouldn't have been able to go.
0: And you would have stayed with the X, with, with the, ex, with, with, uh, yeah. I can't with sing. the I
1: can't sing X-Factor musical. And it sh- that closed within two weeks.
0: And so only because of that, were you even able to right. do the Color Purple? This would be the version that was in London? Or yes. Because oh, in between the Chocolate Factory and Broadway, there was this there was time, this in, time London, in London, but that wouldn't have happened, which means Broadway wouldn't have happened exactly. if if this show, which at the time you were pretty disappointed. I
1: was, I was pretty disappointed. And it wasn't so much that it had closed in two weeks. It was how everyone was treated because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a great believer in like justice and fairness mm-hmm. and treating people how you wish to be treated. And it felt like we were tossed away. Yeah. That's nice. um, we. I remember they told us that the show was closing at the end of a two show day when everyone was still in their costumes on stage, that's messed up. And I was like, if you knew this at the beginning of the day, that was when you should have told us. Yeah. Because what would have happened is everyone would have ra- would have rallied together mm-hmm. and got that like got themselves together, put on their costumes, and gave everyone a hell of a show to remember. Mm-hmm. But you told us at the end of the day when we worked really hard mm-hmm. that we were we were closing. I just felt like it was so inhumane that I couldn't even, like, stay for the conversation that they were having. That's I was terrible. like, I can't. Yeah. I can't watch all of my peers be, like... And people had, like, they had banked on it for... The, like, I'm lucky because I didn't have a, a family to mm-hmm. provide for or, or children to feed. Mm-hmm. But there were, like, married couples who had just gotten married and had new kids. And they were relying on this thing to feed their kids and, mm-hmm. like, get their mortgage sorted and all of that stuff. And within the fell swoop, they just were, like, tossed out. I just was like, it's just not the way to do
0: things, no. ever. Well... I'm sure they're happy that it's it, it created this possibility yeah. for you. But
1: yeah.
0: I know you've answered every question in the world about The Color Purple, but just wrapping up that portion of this, yeah. what did you make of that moment every night where an audience, you know, people don't stand up in the middle of shows very no. often. What, obviously it was, it was your voice and the song and all that, but just what did you make of that when that was happening?
1: I, I felt like everybody was experiencing a relief with her. I had said to my director that I didn't I didn't mind if people were frustrated with her. I I wanted people to get to a point where they needed they wanted to shake her, like they wanted her to do something so that when that song came, it came at a point where nothing else could happen. Like it's the only thing that could possibly happen at that point otherwise it was never going to happen. And I felt like everybody's that people standing up and applauding and crying was a like a big communal sigh of relief because it meant that you didn't have to worry about her anymore. And you could just enjoy right, her, you right. know, because I think when you meet her, you're automatically worried that something's going to happen to this girl all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. And it's not that she is making you want to feel sorry for her. It's just that things do happen. And sometimes it catches her unawares and then it doesn't. And, it, you know, heartbreak. And then it just is one thing after Transpect another.
0: For the vulnerability yeah. thing we were talking yeah. about
1: earlier. Yeah. It's like, she's just open. Like things happen. Yeah. And so by that point, every, including herself, n- no one can take it anymore. And so something has to give. And that song is the thing that gives. And I think that's why everyone sort of, okay, now let's move. And it's why the next thing that happens is laughter.
0: But how about for you performing that and hearing that re- or seeing that reaction? What yeah. does that feel like?
1: Heaven. Because it means that you get to give something to people that not many people do. Like I, I didn't expect that that would be the reaction. I didn't expect it. And when it happened the first time, I was like, <laughs> "How do I navigate this? How do I how do I do this? What is the next part of the story? How do I continue and move forward into the story and tell everyone that we're moving forward? Let's go together." Mm-hmm. But there's something really wonderful about the about like, the carelessness of everyone getting on their feet and like not caring where they are and yelling and screaming and shouting and clapping, to be able to do that for people. To be able to be there and witness it is incredible. That's what art's supposed to do. Right. It's supposed to make people feel so viscerally that they forget where they
0: are. So, it was right around that. T- I mean, I was lucky enough to see the show, and then right around that time, you get, you know, I guess several months into it, you get your Tony nomination. Yeah. Then we had a roundtable that we organized that you were yeah. nice enough to do with. I'm trying to remember, I think it was Jessica Lang, Carrie Mulligan, Lupita. Lupita.
1: Michelle Williams.
0: It was a pretty cool group. Yeah. And they were, I remember they were all blown away by the revelation that you had once done a half marathon before doing a two show Mm -hmm. day. But just at that time, you know, those were people who had all already been around for a little bit. Yeah. You were now getting your first taste of being a well-known person. Yeah. Can you take us back to that aspect of things where, you know, when you're, when you're in the theater, you're doing some variation of the same thing. Yeah every you know eight times a week but yeah. when you leave the theater and suddenly you're now people know who you are yeah. and they're writing about you and they're asking you about every aspect of your life and all yeah. of that something that not much earlier nobody had really given much of a damn no. about how did you digest that
1: it was it was odd for me because i like you know the example is that i i would i had a, a razor scooter that's what i used to, move to get around back to. and forth that's why I used to move around. And when I first got to New York, I got my razor scooter, bought my razor scooter with me from London. <laughs> and I would ride around in ride around on this razor scooter because it would get me from place to place real quick. And there was, I think, one day when I was on the way to the gym and someone stopped me. Like this is on the 25th or mm-hmm, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like what? <laughs> And I like had no co- I was I was in my sports gear, hat on, and they seemed to they, they recognize, still recognize me. Recognize. And that that is I'm still getting used to that. Yeah. I'm still getting used to the fact that like anonymity is not not what I have anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there's a way to handle it with grace and to realise that everyone is human and to, you know, in those moments when you meet new people and they they get excited to just sort of, like, remind them, I'm also human (laughs) too. Like, we're all all in this together. Um, But when I was experiencing it that first time, it was surreal. You know, I'm sitting at the table with people who I've only watched on television, which to me was crazy. Mm -hmm. But it was amazing, you know, to feel like I could be amongst these
0: people mm-hmm.
1: felt really good.
0: And I I think that uh, I believe I've heard that you and Lupita are now good yeah. friends. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's another person. It wasn't musical that she wasn't a musical that she came to be known for, but it was pretty sudden for her yeah. too, just shortly before you. So, yeah. I, you know, I guess you can probably relate to each other in that way. Yeah. That just out of nowhere, here's somebody yeah. here we are. <laughs> but um, okay. So then I guess Tony Knight. Tony Knight happens. uh, It's not like it was a surprise to anyone, but how about for you?
1: I mean, I... I I never expect anything. So for me, it really was a surprise. And for me, because that was like, that was the Hamilton era. You right, know? the Hamiltonies. That, that was what it was. You know, that's, everyone was talking about right, Hamilton and, right. and every single one of them was nominated. Mm-hmm. So as far as i concerned, it doesn't matter how how great people thought I was. Mm-hmm. I I thought that it was a shoe-in for, the, I thought it was a clean sweep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I so I didn't expect anything. Had nothing written down, had nothing prepared. I just knew that I was going to go and enjoy that night. Mm-hmm. I was going to be dressed in a beautiful dress. Yes. And feel great. I had my mum with me, at, and we we sat together. And Adrian Warren was sitting behind me, and she had my hands on my hands on my shoulder. And I think I think Leslie was sat in front. So we we had like oh Leslie on, yeah. We had this like three of us, which felt really great.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, <laughs> my name's called. It feels like the entire room goes into slow motion and it starts to spin. My mum grabs me by the neck and gives me a huge kiss on the cheek. I realise I have. 90 seconds to get up there and do do the speech I'm like mum I have to go and I get up I trip on my dress I whip it up in front of me I remember this I swear (laughs) I say the F word (laughs) and then get up on the stage and I miss one of the steps and step up two so instead of going one two I step on the second step (laughs) to get up there and the first thing I say is hi mum look I just remember thinking oh my god I can't believe this has happened because really and truly the thing was the show. I, I like to do the show was enough. Like that was the dream.
0: And that one too. <laughs> and that, you know,
1: and that one too, like,
0: yeah.
1: geez. Right. It was just, it was just crazy.
0: Well, that was, it was a cool night to be there. I remember there was, the, it was a weird vibe because I think it was right after that uh, yeah. nightclub shooting. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. But it ended up being very, you know, nice yeah. celebration. But now out of The Color Purple came, basically it seems like almost... Everything since. Everything since. So let's just touch upon these different things. I mean, for one, the performance at the Kennedy Center Honors, where your audience was not only President Obama, but who else was kind of nodding along?
1: Aretha Franklin.
0: Who you're now playing. So, I mean, it's just these all... (laughs) All ties together. yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. Then what we just... To keep the chronology right, the first film that you were asked to do, I think, and that you shot... But the second one released yeah. was Widows. Yes. For Steve McQueen, coming off of Twelve Years a Slave Correct. with Lupita. Just right. again, all unbelievable how it all comes together. So Belle, the character you're playing, hairstylist, single mom. Yeah. You didn't even have to audition for that no, one. No, right? I
1: didn't. I sat with him and had a meeting and he saw the show after he met me.
0: Wow. So he was he was sold without even yeah. the show. Viola, I, I was looking through all your old interviews long before that came about, you were saying she was somebody that you yes. probably most wanted to work with. Yes. So now you're doing that with her, playing a character who I guess, you know, the backstory from what I understand, you and Steve figured out she, she maybe was a bisexual, mm-hmm. but you come into this world that Viola's sort of running yeah. and it ends with that great dialogue-free yeah. moment. I, I guess the the overarching question that I want to ask is, yes, what's it like to work with her, but also what's it like to act for a camera for the first time in a, I mean, you'd done some TV or yeah. whatever, but like, this is a different it, bond.
1: Yeah, completely. And it was really daunting and I was very nervous the first day, very nervous because I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know how how the ropes were. I didn't know what to do. So I was like, I spent a lot of my time just watching people mm-hmm. um, and, and really like listening to instruction, listening to what Steve needed And for some reason, like, after a while it became, I felt like a duck to water. You know, it felt, it felt easier. I felt like the key to it was just to, to really key into whoever you were talking to and communicate and the camera will catch you as long as you mean it. And that was what was happening. I felt like Belle was like a gift of a role because she, it gave me, it gave me like time and space to like figure out what this, what this looked like, what this was. I did not know that people would enjoy her so much. Uh Like, that still to this day, people are like, "You were that girl in Widows."
0: Right, Which, very physical, running around, kind of a, be- a yeah, cool character, yeah. And
1: I, I, I it for me, it was just like a cool small role that like comes in, comes out, and I and I was happy with that, but I didn't know that it would leave a lasting impression. I'm really glad that she did. Yeah,
0: it's also kind of interesting that the first film role, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who kind of there are some parallels with career with her career and yours. I think is Barbara Streisand. Yeah. And she blew up. I think before Funny Girl, there was um I forget the name of the show, but she had that one. Yeah, and then Funny Girl, and then that's her first film role. Yeah, where she's doing the same thing, same yeah. blows people away. Yeah, you're gonna do it, from what I understand, The Color Purple as a film musical. But the first thing was a non musical role, non musical role,
1: none at all. Yeah,
0: does that sort of gratify you to know that you know you're? You weren't immediately boxed in as, hey, this yeah. is the singer.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and Steve Steve did that. Steve was like, I I know that people love you singing, but I really love you as an actress. I love what you can do as an actress, so I'm going to, that's what we're going to do. No singing in this at all. And I was like, happily,
0: that's fine. Was there ever a time I'd heard, and maybe, you know, there's a lot of BS online, but with the, maybe there was going to be one song?
1: I think it was like a little bit of a lullaby, mm-hmm. um, but it just didn't, we didn't need it. Right. We didn't need it in the end, no. um, so we just took it out because it it also didn't fit right. It didn't feel right uh, at all. So because she was, there's just something, there's such a great energy about her that it it would have taken away rather than added. And I loved the the fact that I didn't sing. And I love the fact that some people have come to, they, they met me in that film. They met me in Widows. So they hadn't, they had no idea I could sing at all.
0: So the second film that you shot, but the first one that was actually released was Bad Times at the El Royale, where you are playing a singer, but very much, very different singer, very kind of down on her luck. You have a great song in there, but that one comes out. And then also emanating from somebody seeing Color Purple is Harriet. So who came to see that that led to Harriet? Because I've seen a bunch of different...
1: Deborah Martin Chase came to see it with Daniela Tappen-Lumberg, and I think she she walked uh, Gregory, the writer, Mm -hmm. they all came to see it. And then I sat with Deborah afterwards uh, and she told me about this, this piece and the character that she wanted me to play. And and didn't was like not alluding to it until she like told me that it was Harriet. Yeah.
0: Was there also at one point uh, before Cassie got involved, was there, was there going to be a different director who also saw you? There was
1: going to be a different director, Seath Mann, um, but it just didn't work that, that way. Things didn't work out and Casey felt like the right way to go. Yeah.
0: And so... When they're broaching the idea of this first starring role and, yeah. you know, primary role, you know, and I know these are questions that you've been getting a lot, but just for the record, sadly, people in this country grow up and don't know who she is. Yeah. You grew up in a different country. Yeah. Did you know who she was? I did. Yeah. and
1: But I, I only just discovered in doing all of this that a lot of my schools did not know about her at all it mm-hmm. wasn't in the history books I just happened to have an obsessive historian as a teacher who wanted to know everything about history and wanted to know all the history so we did everything and and so the books that she used in the stories that she told we learned about Harriet Tubman Miss Ungaro I remember her name was
0: and so when when these guys came to you and talking about Harriet Tubman you knew who they're talking about and was it a straight offer
1: it was a straight offer.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of cool yeah. for the first uh, awesome. main role. yeah. <laughs> that's a, you don't have to go through six auditions no. <laughs> like like uh, mm-hmm. Sister Act. Yeah. Okay. So the other thing that I wondered is, you know, I know you've there, there's this conversation that always happens. We had David Oyelowo on this podcast. He had to deal with this with Selma and there's all different when a black person who's not American plays a black person who is American mm-hmm. and it's a historical figure just as, not it's not limited to to that demographic You can mm-hmm. there's always sensitivities you've had to navigate that conversation yeah. what's what's the answer there
1: I think there are many different answers to be honest and I, I think that there it really is like a problem of lack and we just don't see this many types of roles for us as black people at all across the board whether it's in the UK or here even less in the UK and so for me, I guess I was naive when it came to me because I just I welcomed a beautiful part and I I loved the woman that I, it, it, that it was about and I learned about her and I knew she was a hero and I, I knew I wanted to tell that story and I I think I was naive to think that it really was just about me as, as an actress uh, and what I could bring to the role but I understand that there's such, there's a lot of hurt and pain when it comes to these characters and these roles because there just aren't enough of them there are plenty of stories plenty of stories of heroics and people who have beaten the odds but they're just rarely told and because they're rarely told we don't get to see them.
0: And it's not like because you were not born in the United States you can't understand what it felt like to be a black person in a white dominated society. And
1: you know I think that there's also the, the conversation about what that is as well like what It is to be a black woman in the United Kingdom, Uh like how that feels, Uh how uh, othered you feel, how um, people don't see you. You know, it took me a long time to get to a place where I could like do what I want to do. And it was taking me. No one was seeing me for things in the UK. It was tough. And I was like having to fight for things. I had to fight for the color purple. Uh You know, it and when you get boxed in, you get boxed in. So I was only really doing theater and small TV and no one wanted to see me for film at all. And, you know, you watch your peers doing really well. And I came from RADA, so all of the, the white girls and boys were doing fine. They were all in their films and they're doing TVs and I'm watching and I'm sort of like thinking, when do I get the mm-hmm, chance? Mm-hmm.
0: There but that was there. another thing that may have been useful because like Harriet, yeah. I mean, I think you both were probably quite underestimated. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And she was not a big... She's woman either right five foot five foot and so five you foot were bigger that you're bigger than taller than yeah, her by an inch, <laughs> uh, by an inch. <laughs> so and, and and speaking of underestimate people might think oh you know you must be a fragile delicate part you were doing some hardcore yeah shit right yeah you did all the stunts I did all the stunts
1: but one they wouldn't let me do the one where i had to like actually get like a where the where she jumps off the bridge i did the jump but i wasn't allowed to land in the water mm-hmm. so uh they had someone a stunts do that but everything else is me
0: Wow, well, yeah. a very physical part. Um, yeah. And then when did the idea come about that you might be able to make a, and, and how did it come about that you might be able to make a musical contribution to this as well?
1: I think it was always a part of it because I, I, this, I felt like there was something that was, there's something in the story that feels like it lends itself to music, especially since, you know, music was one of the main forms of her communication, the way she used to call people and let people know she was there and let people know she was leaving. Because of what I am and who I am, I wanted to give something that was of myself. And because I knew I was using my voice like her, I wanted to find a way to give my voice as me uh, as a a gift, really. So I I, I really did think that being a part of the songwriting process might might be a way forward.
0: And this song, Stand Up, if you can talk about just the, you know, you are nominated not just for acting, but for the songwriting as well. So the music, lyrics, just the whole process, how long did it, Take to come about
1: The entire song To, to make Probably took about Two Two, two to three weeks mm-hmm. And even then We were making tweaks And we still were making tweaks Up until now We have different edits And yeah. uh, different uh, orchestrations And all of those things um, To write it So Joshua had come to us With a, with a, a cut of the song already mm-hmm. And I heard it And I thought it was great But I felt like it was Sort of missing The feminine in it And I felt like it needed something else so we sat together and rewrote i think we were together for maybe three hours to rewrite the song and i pulled in will my producer who really helped to um shape the sound of it we spoke about what we wanted i knew i wanted to get uh, live voices he pulled in some really great friends who played the instruments live and he and I have been going back on how things sound, the mix of it, the, the sound of the voices together, do we bring this sound up? Do we do this? Are we do we change the key here? We worked on the song really, really hard. many sleepless nights to get it done.
0: <laughs> so just winding down here, I've gotta say the I was lucky to be at the world premiere of that movie in Toronto where it went over so well. Then it opens and this movie with I don't do you know what the budget was? 17 million. 17 million. Opening weekend makes twelve. Yep. And at this point, I think it's coming up on 50, something yeah. like that. Yeah, People are kind of not sure what to make of the, they, they. They Somehow everybody underestimated, what yeah. again, what, <laughs> what was going to happen here. Um, I think
1: I did as well. You too. did too? I had no idea that, that would happen. I had no idea.
0: Well, what do you attribute it to?
1: I, I, I think people are starting to want to hear the story. You yeah. know, um, I was me I, like I was going to be happy if we if we made all the money back. I would have been like fabulous. This is great. When we got to double, I was like, oh my God, okay, <laughs> we've made we've made double. And that just to me was like wild. Um, and I was like, if we make 50, I'm going to be beyond, beyond belief, happy. And the fact that we're coming up to it is kind of crazy. That's, that's yeah. amazing.
0: So I found a 2014 interview that you did where the person suggested maybe one day you're going to wind up as an Oscar nominee, to which you replied, quote, I reckon it would have to be a biopic, close quote. Which did
1: I say that? I I,
0: I will give you the article as well. So that's kind of crazy. Um,
1: Did I say that? Yeah,
0: hundred percent. Swear to God.
1: Oh my God.
0: (laughs) So to that point, talk about Oscar nominations. Morning. On the one hand, (laughs) you're a double nominee, only the third person ever nominated for acting and music in the same year. Yeah. And then I know that, because you have you have already spoken about this a little bit, that the knowledge that there were only 10 other black women before you who have ever been nominated for Best Actress, mm-hmm. that this year you're the only thing standing between Oscar So White and the yeah. show. Yeah. Just how you process nomination morning
1: I sort of, I had decided to like let it go, to be honest, because I didn't have any expectations whatsoever. And- Obviously, shortly before that, the BAFTA thing had mm-hmm. happened. I thought, I just don't, I just don't know. I have we no have to clue. just tell people
0: well, this is where these guys, the British Academy, yes. hometown, yeah, crowd, yeah, which somehow has never nominated Denzel Washington for ever. an award ever, and have had a number of things like that. I think Morgan Freeman also yeah. never, never, did not have any, any acting, nominees, acting of nominees of color, of color yeah. at all, at all.
1: And that was just deeply disappointing because I thought we had come some ways away from that but you know that's what happens and so on oscar nomination morning you know in my head i'm like i need to get one i was on a flight to japan so i needed to get to japan so i'm like just concentrate on getting to japan
0: so you were on the flight on when it flight. happened so You didn't even flight. know.
1: i had no idea when it happened until <laughs> i think i was i was asleep till maybe 6 30 to seven or something like that and i didn't have any wi-fi on my phone And I looked around and there's this little voucher that they've given everyone uh, for Wi-Fi. (laughs) So I wake up and it's past the time that the announcements would have been made. And I'm like, okay, I guess I should try. (laughs) So I put the Wi-Fi on my phone and I think to myself, this might or might not go. Who knows? Whatever happens, happens. Because then, genuinely there's a thought that it's just not going to happen. So the Wi-Fi gets downloaded on my phone and uh, nothing happens for a second. So I'm like, okay, that's it. That's it. It's cool. <laughs> but as I'm thinking, that's it. It's cool. My phone goes crazy, <laughs> messages, uh, DMs, uh, emails, uh, voicemail, all of the things. People are like celebrating an Oscar nomination. I'm not realizing that there's more than one <laughs> because I'm looking at messages. And I'm like, congratulations on the nomination. I'm like, okay. And I look further down. We two. And I was like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm like on a plane, I can't talk to anyone, I'm like trying to figure out how do I do this? (laughs) like what's going on I tell the stewardess that I've been nominated for an Oscar she then tells the rest of the stewardesses on the plane and they all come over and they're really sweet and I get like a fruit plate and it's really sweet and they give a card Um, I sneak a phone call to my mum because in the air you can call on Wi-Fi. Oh. don't tell anyone <laughs> but I, I it was a, a naughty thing that I did I, I, I sneak and call my mom because I have to let her know yeah. she's beyond belief and I'm like I'm so sorry I can't be on the phone for that long I have to call you when I get off but I've been nominated for
0: free she office. didn't know already she
1: had no idea because she's in london it's all right, different times like, right. different time i don't even know how because i think i had resigned myself to just believing it wasn't going to happen mm-hmm. i just i was so shocked i was so shocked because one was one was enough but to be nominated for two was the beyond cup believe. runneth over yeah. yeah it was ridiculous
0: <laughs> okay so for the last minute here i just want to fire a couple things just the first sentence that uh, if you can dream roll. haven't found it yet did I hear though Serena Williams?
1: That would be a lovely role. That to play. would be I a, cool one. Be a really cool one. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. But I like, I'd love to be able to be in the writing room when it's happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You are now considered a fashion icon. Yes. When did that become part of the equation? Were you always fashionable? I've,
1: I've always loved fashion, and so to be to be known like that yeah. is a dream come true. It's one of the things I've always wanted in my life. And there's like, a certain
0: like boldness though. I mean like yeah. to to wear your hair yeah. different colors yeah. and to, you just don't seem to you is there a certain amount of just I don't give a shit you're gonna you yeah, can there take is it a or leave bit, it there is a little yeah. bit
1: of like take take me as I am yeah, you know yeah. take all the wildness and the differences right. that I have and go with it right you know come with me on the ride if you want to or not
0: I read that you know some people like to they need to be in the outfit of a character or they need to you know relate personally to it your thing is sense yeah so like what kinds of sense
1: um, so for for Celie, I had this like sandalwood and um, like orange. It just was, it just felt like her. For Harriet, it was frankincense and lavender, like oil. For Aretha, it's a, I use like a tumble, it's like a rich, heavy scent because mm-hmm. it's like, there's something about it that feels like money. And I, <laughs> that, that's what she is, you know. Um, and for for uh, Belle, it was more like a, a sweet scent i can't remember what i used but it was sweet because i wanted it to be the antithesis of what everyone was seeing and i don't know what it is i feel like it's like a real memory recall Mm -hmm. like you know when you walk past someone and you smell them you you automatically remember who they are you might not remember their name but you remember where you were when you met them and who who they are uh which is why i want that for the characters it's almost like a reminder for me usually it's the scent and the music that they listen to that's
0: cool yeah lastly Tell me what goes through your head when you hear and think about this word, or I don't know if it's even a word. Is it an acronym? I don't know what you would call it. You know what I'm going to say? Yeah. You go ahead. Tell me what am i going to say.
1: Are you going to say ego? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, what goes through my head is how on earth did I get here now? Like, how did this happen? It's, it's wild to me that we're even like having a conversation about it, you know, to like think about it and like i don't know what i would do if it happened i i have i have not planned that far to be honest i don't know that i thought that this would be where i was now four years ago like i had no idea
0: i think you got to wear that charm to the oscars right is yeah. it can you get it on a, a neck or do you have it with you oh a this curry? is it no um no the oscar that you're oh sister. i have
1: it it's in a purse somewhere so i'm gonna i actually think i'm gonna get it um remade for myself so i might wear it That'd just be great. to keep it i can't believe i forgot that that's so crazy
0: well, thank you for doing this and rooting for you on uh, Feb Nine.
1: Thank you so much. All right, thank care. you.
0: Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters podcast network, all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's top five, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's series regular. On behalf of all of us at the Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in.